All right. Again, good morning. It is good for us to be together, isn't it? Hey, let's open our Bibles to John's Gospel. We're going to look at chapter 11 this morning. We were in this chapter last week, and we really looked at the first four verses, and we kind of parked on this this verse where it says, This sickness is not unto death. Of course, Jesus speaking of Lazarus. The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. And we spent uh, quite a bit of time on that. But this morning we're going to look at hopefully the entire chapter. I know that's kind of um, uh, ambitious for me. Um, Because honestly, there's a lot here, so I'm not going to beleaguer the point. Let's read the first uh, 27 verses of this together. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was, and then after this he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. And then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who is the twin, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days, speaking of Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, and Mary was sitting in the house. And now Mary, uh, excuse me, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And this is the most important verse of this chapter right here. Circle it, underline it. Verse 25. Actually, uh, 25 uh, and 27, actually. But 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, Though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And so now we see uh, Jesus coming to the aid of, of Lazarus, Jesus' friend. 
And you remember that Bethany was just about two miles to the southeast of, of Jerusalem, and this is where Mary, Martha, and her brother Lazarus lived. And let's get right into verse 5, since we've already looked at the first four verses. Notice that it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. This word loved is significant in the Greek language. In our English, we see the word loved, and it means it could mean anything. In context, we know what love means in our context. But in the Greek language, they would specify the context. You can love your dog, you can love your wife, and you can love God, and we know that there are all three different types of love. So the Bible says that this Greek word is agapeo, which is the highest form of love in the Greek language. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's, a, it's an other-centered love. It has no concern about self, but rather the benefit of the other. And so this is what it means when Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He loved them sacrificially. And we're going to find out, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that not only did he love them, but he was going to demonstrate that love on a cross, not only for the three of them, but for all of us here. He demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died on the cross. He died for our sin. That's the greatest, greatest form of love when you are willing to give yourself over everything else. And so verse 6 says, So when he had heard, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. It seems like a paradox, doesn't it? Because between uh, verses 5 and 6, because if he truly loves Lazarus sacrificially, and that's what that word really means, he would have gone to him immediately. He would have gone but we've got to remember that there was a greater purpose in Jesus waiting that nobody seemed to understand at that time but himself and the Father. And it required Lazarus to die physically. You know, we're often short-sighted in our understanding of the things of God, the ways of God, especially when difficult and hard things happen to us. And sometimes our sicknesses and even our inconveniences are God's divine appointments for us. Have you ever been inconvenienced when you've had your day all planned out and, 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 and all of a sudden there's things that inter interrupt your day and you get a little frustrated? This is not on the schedule. This is not on my iPhone I got a little thing that popped up and says, hey, you got to go to the doctor, you got to go to the dentist, you got to go to CVS and pick up a prescription, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, I've got this interruption in my life. Sometimes, sometimes those are God's divine appointments. Recently, I had a divine appointment, and I shared this with you, I think. Uh, my car ran out of gas the day before my birthday, just not too long ago. And um, my wife and I were on our way to a furniture store in Henrietta, and we got halfway there, and my car was on empty, and I, I, didn't, I, I, knew, it, I knew about it, and I, I underestimated because I've gotten used to playing that gas gauge roulette thing that we all do. And so uh, the, the point is, is that we got halfway there to Henrietta. It was a, it was a cold day, and then I re we realized we forgot to measure some dimensions. So we drive all the way back home, but before we got home, literally less than a mile from our house, my car just died. And I didn't, the way it happened, I didn't, think it was, I didn't think it was the gasoline. At least my pride didn't want me to think that. And so we're sitting there alongside the road, and wouldn't you know, there was a police officer right at the intersection where we were at. He came over, and he helped us. 
And uh, the, the long story short is I had to go get gas and put it in, and sure enough, it was the gas, and I, you know, felt that. Have you ever felt that, that embarrassment? You know, and everybody's driving by looking at you. <laughs> I can't believe what an idiot. You know, so that happened to me. But the, my point is, what seemed like an interruption to me and an interruption in my day, and it did, it took, uh, took us out of commission for about an hour and a half. And thank God Pastor Dave, was, he came and he rescued me and brought me to the gas station. I got some gas, or brought me home to get a gas can. But I came back, and, and the police officer was still there. And I started talking to the police officer, just thanking him for his service and how thankful I am and uh, for what he has done and, and got to share with him a little bit. And I thought to myself later, especially as I was reading this about the inconvenience <laughs> of things, I thought to myself, you know what, Lord, you may have allowed that for that reason. Maybe that man, and he was a rookie, this cop, maybe he needed the encouragement, and maybe God had to interrupt my life. Rob, are you willing to be interrupted so that you will encourage? And you know, at the time, I had no idea. But I'm like, here I am, and I'm sitting there talking with this guy, and I'm thanking him, and I'm talking to him, and we're having this great conversation. And then later on, I thought, you know, what? maybe that's what that was all about. Sometimes our greatest inconveniences can be God's divine appointments. And I believe that may have been a divine appointment. In verse 7 it says, Then after this, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going to go there again? You know, this seems to defy logic, doesn't it? If you go to a place and you're going to get beaten and were threatened to be killed, um, the last place I want to go is back to that location. I'd much rather choose some place in Palm Springs. Right? So the disciples are thinking logically. They're thinking logically. But remember, it was just in John chapter 10, verse 31. Remember, it was during that time when Jesus declared that he is the good shepherd and that he was equal with God the Father. And the Jews, remember, in verse 31 of chapter 10, they took up stones and they were going to stone him for blasphemy because he made himself equal with God. He didn't make himself equal, he was God in the flesh and is God in the flesh. But the fact that Jesus was going to go back there didn't make any sense to the disciples. But there are reasons beyond our human reasoning that God does things. In fact, there are times that the Lord may want us to go back to a situation or a place that we have previously had trouble. Paul the Apostle knew this very well. In one of his missionary journeys, it tells us in Acts 14 that the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. It defies logic, but God had a bigger reason for it. And we ought not to be afraid. Be led by the Spirit, even if it makes, doesn't make sense. The church around you, even your parents, closest friends, will say, you're a lunatic. What are you doing? But make sure that you're led by the Lord. And don't be afraid to step out in faith, and you'll find out. And happy will you be when you realize that your inconvenience turned out to be a divine appointment. It turned out to be a divine appointment, and it would defy logic. And that's why we can't think on this level all the time. See, you know, if, we, if we're always thinking on this level, we're going to miss out on a lot of stuff that's happening vertically because God wants to work in us. He wants to work in us. We have to be willing vessels, right? 
And sometimes and many times the will of God may not make sense, but it's more important, again, to be faithful and obedient to him, right? Think of how the world would be different if the servants of God in the, in the, in the history, in the Bible, didn't obey. And, the, and many of them didn't. They made mistakes. And, and aren't you glad they're there for our encouragement? <laughs> you realize you're not alone when we read these things. But back in verse 9 in our text, it says, So Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Jesus spoke earlier in John chapter 8 that he is the light of the world. But it's not necessarily speaking of that, because what does it tell us in Romans? There's 12 hours in the day. We need to be walking in the light, not in the darkness. And that's what Paul said to the Romans. He said this, he says, And do this, knowing the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And right now, right now in our country, in our history, right now in, our, in this place of the church, I can say amen to that. We've never been closer and the signs have never been clearer than they are right now. It really behooves us to really draw near and to really get serious about our faith and our walk in Christ. But notice what it says. The night is far spent and the day is at hand, Paul says. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light and let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on. Here's our mandate. Yes, some mandates are good. (laughs) Here's our mandate, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We gotta kill that old nature. We gotta we gotta sacrifice it. We gotta crucify it. God wants you to be a living sacrifice. See the the God of Islam, which is nothing more than a demon, and I and that's the truth. The God of Islam says, "You want to serve me? You want to worship me? Then strap on a a vest of C4 and blow up." And we've talked about this. Sorry to bring it up again. But our God says, no, I want you alive, but you've got to die to yourself. That my glory, my life can live in and through your life to minister to others, to impact others. Why? So that they might be saved. That they might be saved. See, that's what it's all about is God wants to save a people unto himself. He wants to reconcile us, the church, and everyone in the world, as many as will come, to be reconciled back to the Father. That's why Jesus came. He was the bridge. He was the mediator. So Jesus is not talking here about physical day and night, but opportunities and seasons of opportunity to share and to do those things of the Lord. But notice verse 10, but if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Let me ask you, are you walking in the day? Are you born again this morning? Are you born again? Is the Spirit of God, has He indwelt you? Or are you still walking in the night? Are you still unregenerate? Meaning, the Spirit of God is not in you, so you haven't been regenerated by the Spirit of God. Are you still unregenerate, walking in darkness? Paul to the Ephesians says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. You were... Uh, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of province, uh, promise, having no hope and without God in this world. I don't know about you, but I, I, I can't imagine, especially being a Christian now, I can't imagine what life is like being without God in this present world, especially now. 
the hopelessness, the darkness, the, the heartache. And you know, even as a Christian, even though I know what's coming, even though I know Christ is coming for the church, even though these things are true, I'm still heartbroken. Are you? Even though I know these things, the process is not easy, is it? But thank God we know what's coming. Thank God we know the end of the story. And folks, it's coming to pass. It's coming to pass, but we need to walk in the light. The author of this gospel in his epistle, says, but if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 11, it says, These things Jesus said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. This word friend is really wonderful. It's a Greek word called phylos, and it's a friendly, kind of social, neighborly kind of love or friend. That, that's kind of what it is. We see it in other verses, like in John 15, where it says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Or in James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted him, accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. I got that song in my head. I am the friend of God. Remember that song you hear? And I, I got that song in my head. As soon as I read that verse, that's what I'm thinking of. And you are. You're a friend of God because the enmity, the hatred has been put away because you've received his son. And now you are Christians, Christ ones. The enmity is past. You are loved by your God more than you can possibly understand. You're loved by him. He loves you. He's not here to ruin your fun. Actually, he wants your life to be greater in fulfillment and greater in joy. And you know, only as a Christian can we experience that fullness of joy. And, it, and, it's, and it's the fullness of joy in the life, is abs, the, the, what's absent from it is our flesh. The less our flesh is involved, the greater joy we're going to have. Sure, the pleasures of sin are pleasurable for a season. The Bible says that. But then the bill comes, and we can't pay that bill. We don't like the consequence of that bill. There is a wage that we get, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we receive as a result of sin is death and the consequences of it. And boy, they're horrible. And many of us are even still living in the consequences of those things. But Jesus willingly laid his life down for us, and no one took it from him. Verse 11, notice it says sleeps. Our friend Lazarus sleeps. This, this word is koimeo, which is where we get our word coma from. Someone who is, uh, is asleep, they're slumbering, they're, or it could mean they're deceased. And then verse 12, his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he, he will get well. They didn't understand what, what Jesus was speaking of. And by the way, this idea of sleeping, when it's, when it, this idiom in the Christian church, and even in the, Old Te- or in the New Testament, excuse me, when it speaks of sleeping, it, it more, more often than not, depending on the context, means died, a person who has died. Because a, for a Christian, when we die, it's just a temporary thing. Our, our body, anyway, our, our soul uh, goes to, to glory to, to, with Jesus, but our body's still on the ground until the resurrection, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And so therefore, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. You see, by allowing Lazarus to die physically would bring about a saving faith in many. We'll see that later on in verse 45, that there were those there when Razawith, sound like Elmer Fudd, Razawith. There were many there when Lazarus rose that came to faith in Christ. And this is how Jesus is glorified and also the Father. And notice the phrase, that you may believe. Even the disciples' faith was growing through this event, and so are we. We're still growing through all of these things that we read as we continue to know. And as the the depth of our understanding gets deeper and deeper and deeper, our dependence on Christ grows deeper and deeper as well. That's That's why we gather like this. It's like a big meal. We're all being fed. And I'm a fat sheep, and I love it. I've been a fat sheep for a long time. But I need to start moving and losing some of that weight and getting out there and telling people the truth, right? But be willing to be challenged and keep learning and growing. Just as the disciples, they, were, they didn't quite get it, but they're learning and growing just like we are. Don't allow yourself to get stale and crusty. Always keep learning. Don't allow yourself to be puffed up with spiritual pride. Let's get real with each other, not judge and criticize and scrutinize one another, not being jealous and envy of each other. Verse 16, it says, Then Thomas, who was called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Some commentators believe that Thomas here was basically stating, let's go with him and die, and that was kind of like a chivalrous kind of very heroic kind of thing to say. And some believe that. I I also think that because the disciples were human just like we are, I think it's very possible that Thomas is going, you know what, we're going to go back to that. Whatever, we're going to die. We'll just go die with you. You know? (laughs) Let's just go. (laughs) I think it's possible. I think it's possible, but for the glory of God. Notice what it says in Colossians. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we come upon the Thanksgiving season, what a great opportunity to give thanks to God for all that he has done and all that he hasn't allowed as well. I thank him for the things that he's done and the things he hasn't done, especially in my life. I'm glad that he didn't answer the prayers that I had been praying, that were very selfish, that would have led me on a different trajectory other than the trajectory that he's got me on now, which is toward him. I was serving myself and my flesh and going another direction. Thank God that he got me off on his trajectory, and may I always stay on that narrow path. In fact, may, all, may we all stay on that narrow path. There is life on that path, and everyone is welcome. And by the room, by the way, even though that... that, that uh, That road is narrow. It's long enough for every single soul to fit on that road. We may have to follow in in, in twos, going down two by two, like going into the ark. (laughs) But we're all going to get there. And everyone is invited. And I love what it says in Corinthians, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. 
As we get into verse 17, this is really the, the place where we wanted to land this morning. And one of the things that we have to understand is between John's gospel, at the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11, between those two chapters, there are actually about 11 different events in the life of Jesus. And they're all recorded for us in Luke's gospel, beginning in chapters 13, verse 22 through 17, verse 10. But about 11 events happen between those two verses in the life of Jesus. And one of the ones I want to bring your attention to is the second to the last event before this happens in chapter 11, because Jesus spoke of the rich man and Lazarus. In fact, why don't you turn there, if you would, to chapter 16 of Luke, and we're going to look at this really quick. Because this Lazarus here in this passage is not the same as Lazarus of Bethany. This Lazarus that is being raised in chapter 11 is not the same as the Lazarus in this passage in Luke's gospel. And what we're reading now in Luke, this man was a beggar and he died and went to heaven. But Lazarus of Bethany is still with us according to the narrative and he wasn't a beggar. Okay, so two different Lazaruses. But notice there's a reason we're going here. Read it with me, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, There was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, or that's a, a, a Hebrew idiom for heaven, Okay. Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried, and he being in torments in Hades, or hell. Yes, these are two very real places. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have brothers, I have five brothers, that he, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to him from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. That's significant. It's interesting that Jesus spoke of this prior to raising Lazarus of Bethany from the dead. Please take note of that last verse in verse 31. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. This is a proof text that miracles don't necessarily produce saving faith. Somebody can rise from the dead. Even Jesus rose from the dead. And many, some believe, but not all. In fact, the majority of them did not. And although there were conversions after the raising of Lazarus, the Bible makes no mention of the religious leaders coming to Christ after his resurrection. But the religious leaders were accountable, and the Jews, 
because they heard of this event of the rich man and Lazarus. This, I, I believe this is a real man. This is a real situation. When Jesus spoke in parables, he didn't mention names. But when he mentioned names, I believe this is a very real person. This event that Jesus is talking about is not just a parable. It's something that really happened. Like, like, jo- or, uh, excuse me, like Job. He spoke of Job as if he was a real man because he was. That really happened. And the majority of the Sanhedrin, this, 70, this group of 71 men who um, oversaw the, uh, Israel and their laws and stuff like that, the majority of them were Sadducees, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. But this idea of the resurrection is one of the most important doctrines of the Bible. One of the most important. In fact, I think it's one of the top few, because if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we are all in a, in a really bad pickle. If all he did was die, and that was it, and he made the claim that he died for our sins but didn't rise again like the Bible said he was going to, be, going to do, then we are, we are of all people most miserable, Paul said. If, if he died but he didn't rise from the grave, we are wasting our time. We might as well go play golf or pick apples, <laughs> do something. But the resurrection, very important. And the raising of Lazarus, as significant as and important as it is, we can't confuse this with the resurrection of Jesus. There are two totally different, not only two different events, but uh, even though Lazarus was raised from the grave, he did not have the same resurrection body of Jesus. And thus, he did die again. Yes, Jesus rose him from the grave, but he didn't have a resurrection body like Jesus did. He died again. The Bible doesn't tell us when Lazarus died, but he did die a physical death and went to glory like every, every, anybody else at that time who would believe in Christ. Look with me at, uh, let me read this to you, but you can write this in your Bibles. It's in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul says to them, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish one, he says, what you sow is not what it, uh, is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of man, another of animals, another of birds, another of fish. There's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. You and I have a terrestrial body made of the earth. We came from the, the, the dirt. We came from Adam. But we're going to receive a new body that's celestial, and that's what he's talking about here. He said there's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. One differs from another. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. That's what it is right now. But it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Right now we have our natural bodies, but we're getting a wonderful upgrade that doesn't cost us anything. It costs him everything. But it's coming. Are you looking forward to that upgrade? I am looking forward to that. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, speaking of Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. And so... Jesus was the first fruits 
of the resurrection. He, when he rose again from the grave, his body was very different. He even looked slightly different, but he still had the holes where the, where the nails went and where the pierced side with the sword and the crown of thorns. He still had those wounds, but he was just slightly different, but he was able to pass through limestone, several feet of limestone. Remember, the stone was rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out because he was knocking on the inside, let me out! No, they rolled away the stone so that people could get in to see what had happened. And do you know, John tells us in John chapter 20 that when they went in there, when Peter and John went into that tomb, what did they see? The wraps that he was wrapped in. They were all wrapped around him like this, and they just literally collapsed. And then the napkin that was around his head, a separate piece, was folded like a napkin and set off by its side. He literally passed through those wraps when he received his resurrection body. Very different from what we're looking at today with Lazarus because he came out hand and foot with all the wraps on him and then Jesus had to say, take those wraps off him and let him go. Take those wraps off him. Bah. But the resurrection body of Jesus, something different. What does it tell us in 1 Corinthians 15? It says, all, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But notice this, very important. But each one in his own order When the resurrection occurs, the resurrection, with the new body, Christ is the first fruits. He was the first. And then afterwards, those are Christ at his coming. At his coming. The raising of Lazarus was like a trial. It was like a forecast. Just a little over a week before Jesus would be put to death on the cross, he brought Lazarus back to life. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was about to do at the cross. But there is life after death. When we die, this this body goes into the ground, but then our soul returns to God if we're a believer. And if we are not a believer, our soul goes to Hades or hell. And it's there until the judgment of the last day, at which point those in Hades or hell will be cast into a lake of fire which will be forever and ever. And that's the eternal state for the unbeliever. But notice, Martha said, Lord, I know that he will rise again in the last day in the resurrection. Jesus had taught them this. They knew that the resurrection was coming. Jesus taught them. In fact, this very sign that we're looking at this morning is the very last sign in the book of John, because after we get through this chapter, we're going to get into just the last week or so of Jesus' life. We call it the Passion Week. So verse 17, when Jesus came, he found them, that they had already been in the tomb for four days, that he had been Lazarus. In rabbinical writings, it was believed that the dead person's soul revisited the tomb during the first three days after death, but it left permanently after the fourth day, thinking that death was irreversible after the fourth day. And I love that because Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't come. He waits. He waits for Lazarus to die. He waits for the decomp to set in, the rigor mortis, all these natural processes in the Middle East and that weather. Decomposition happens very quickly. In fact, Martha would say, Lord, don't roll away the stone. He's going to be stinking. We're going to defile ourselves. And Jesus says, no, roll. i got something to show you. It says, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. 
And Bethany was near the road that led from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And that road is still there today. I actually took a picture when we were going up from Jericho, going up uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, this, this road that is here is actually a four-lane road, two coming and two going. But this is the area. It's, it's an ancient road. It's been there for a long time. And this is the road, part of the road, that Jesus would walk on as he would go from Jerusalem down to Bethany and then down to Jericho and down into Transjordan area. And notice in verse 19, And many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And I love the fact that the Bible talks about these, these two ladies and their, their very different personalities. Martha was the real go-to gal, the, you know, get busy. And Martha was the one who would sit at Jesus' feet. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I don't know her tone when she was saying this, but I don't believe it was a rebuke to Jesus. She was basically making a proclamation of her faith in him, knowing that if he was there, Lazarus would not have died. And Jesus wasn't going to do a good thing at the expense of an, eater, of, an either, of an even greater thing. The good thing would be to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus had a greater plan, and that was to raise... Um, um, I'm sorry, the good thing was to prevent Jesus, or Lazarus, excuse me, from dying. But the greater thing was to raise him from the dead. Proving that he is God and showing to the world forecasting, foreshadowing what Jesus would do just days from this moment. But verse 22, back in our text, Martha still speaking. She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give it to you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And she said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. And see, this is significant because they believed in the resurrection. The Pharisees uh, of the day also believed in the resurrection, but the Sadducees did not. In John chapter 5, verse 28, it says this, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in the which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good, notice, to, ever, or to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Yes, Every single person on the planet will be resurrected. Those who have done good, who have received Christ, they will be resurrected to life. And those who have rejected Christ will be resurrected for condemnation for eternity. That's what the Bible says. And we'll look at some of those quickly this morning. But this resurrection, resurrection of life, it speaks of the resurrection in general, which we see in the Scriptures has three phases to it. Three phases. The Bible refers to it as the first resurrection because it's a three-phase resurrection for believers. And then there's also another resurrection at the end, but it's for unbelievers. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't call it the second resurrection. It calls it the second death. And we see that at the end of the book of Revelation. If you were to look at this graphic that I have on the screen, those items marked in red are what we call the first resurrection. It's in three waves. Remember that passage I just read, Christ the first fruits, and then those who are Christ at his coming? Notice that first one in red, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the first fruits because his body was raised an incorruptible body, a body very different from Lazarus' physical body. 
Lazarus rose again, and then he died again, and then went to heaven. His soul went to heaven. He's still waiting for his resurrection. But Jesus, when he died, he rose and he had a celestial body that could pass through rock. It could appear and disappear at will, it appears. But notice, but those who are at Christ at his coming, I believe that not only refers to the second physical coming of Christ to the earth, but also the rapture of the church. Two separate events. But you know this one, that the rapture. Notice that second one, on the second from the left, the rapture of the church. That's the second phase. That's what we are waiting for, literally, right now. Because the Lord could, let's just read it. First Thessalonians 4.13, let me read it to you. Paul said to them, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. When he returns, he's going to bring those. He's going to to gather them. For this we say to you, notice, by the word of the Lord, this was not Paul's opinion, he received this by revelation, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those who have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God, with the trumpet of God. And notice, the dead in Christ, those from the New Testament up to currently, they will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive at that time, which could be today, hopefully, and remain, will be caught up. The Greek word is harpazo. The Latin Vulgate says rapio. That's where we get our word rapture. You won't find the word rapture in the Bible because it's a Latin term. But the idea is that we will be violently changed in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. In the twinkling of an eye, our body will be changed after the dead in Christ have risen. It'll happen so quickly It'll be like a twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ will rise with an incorruptible body just like Jesus, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up and changed, transformed immediately, and taken to heaven with him. And you know what that's going to do to the world? (laughs) They're going to have a lot of problems. What happened? Why did several million people on the planet just go automatically? You think that's going to cause some social upheaval? You better believe it. But notice at Christ's second coming, that third red bullet or whatever on the side there, at the end of the tribulation period, simultaneous with the beginning of Jesus' thousand-year reign, we know as the millennial reign, that it's at this time that the great tribulation, I'm sorry, that at the end of the great tribulation period, the beginning of the millennial reign, the Old Testament saints who died in faith, and also those who were martyred during the tribulation period, they will also be resurrected. Look with me at Daniel. Let me just read it to you. It's, it's, it's on the screen there, but in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the very last book of Daniel says this, And at that time Michael, who is an archangel, shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. That's important to know, because Daniel was a Jew, And Michael of the archangel is the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, the Jewish people. And notice what it says, And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people, Daniel, these Old Testament saints who believed in Jesus, they, notice, 
Your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book, the book of life. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Notice, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Didn't Jesus tell us that? Some will be for the resurrection of, of, of life and others resurrection of condemnation. The Old Testament saints at the end of that tribulation period, just simultaneous really with the thousand-year reign, they will be resurrected at that time to inhabit that millennial reign here on this earth along with all of us because when the second coming comes, we will also come back already in our glorified bodies to the earth for that thousand-year reign because we will be raptured at the rapture. We will spend at least seven years with the Lord while he's pouring out his wrath on a world that has rejected him. But notice what it says in, Daniel, in the 13th verse of Daniel 12. But go your way, Daniel, till the end, for you shall rest. God's saying, you're going to die. You're going to die physically. You're going to rest. And you will arise to your inheritance at the end of your days. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? And what about the tribulation saints, those believers during that tribulation period? Yes, there will be people saved during the tribulation period, but it's going to be very difficult, very difficult. The church will have already been removed in our glorified bodies like Jesus for seven years. We will be with him in glory because he is not, we have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. That's why he's not going to drag his bride through his judgment on the earth. Does that make sense? Guys, would you drag your wife, your bride, through judgment? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't drag her. In Revelation 20, uh, verse 4 and 6, Paul, or John says, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness of Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image. This is the Antichrist that is going to be revealed during that tribulation period. So those who did not receive the mark and worship the beast and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They were resurrected, but the rest of the dead, the wicked dead, they did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Because at the end of the thousand years, we have the great white throne judgment where unbelievers will be judged. And he said, "Blessed, this is the first resurrection. This is part of the first resurrection when those saints will be resurrected. Over such, the Bible says, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and notice, and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's you and I. That's the Old Testament saints, the, the tribulation saints who, who got saved, but they lost their lives in the tribulation. We will all share the millennial reign with Christ in our new resurrected bodies, but a very different body than what Lazarus had. So Jesus, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, it's not just the power who invokes these things. He is the resurrection. And the life. He's not just the one who has power to do it. He is the very one to do it. He is the very one. Verse 26, And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And, and um, 
Let's just go on here to verse 28. And when he had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up and quickly went out, they followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. And then when Mary came where Jesus was and she saw him, notice she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And whenever you see Mary in the New Testament, this Mary of Bethany, she's at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter uh, 10, uh, and in John chapter 12, we always see her at the feet of Jesus, worshiping, listening to him. And Jesus said her part will never be taken away from her. So therefore, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. This idea is is to snort literally with anger. He was not real happy, but he was certainly, um, uh, and what was he angry and frustrated about? I think as he looked around at the Jews, their unbelief in him, that he was unable to, to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was able to do those things. And also, perhaps because he was seeing the effects of sin and rebellion and Satan's work and and working so poignantly in the lives of these people. He groaned in his spirit and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see. And the the shortest verse in the Bible, in verse 35, Jesus wept. But he foreknew what was going to happen. And then he said to the Jews, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again, groaned in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, it was a st- and a stone laid against it. And these limestone caves, they're, they're all over Israel, actually, and Jesus' tomb is very similar to this. It's actually uh, built in the limestone, and his. when you walk into that tomb, right on the right-hand side, you'll see two different slabs where, pe- there's actually three, um, that people would go in when they, when they had died, they would lay their bodies there. And so this was a very similar thing for Lazarus. And so Jesus said, take away this stone. And Mary, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, there's a stench. He's been in there for four days. But Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you could see the glory of God? And then he took away the stone from the place. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you had sent me. And then when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) There's a church father named Augustine who made this comment about this, and I think it's really interesting. He says, if Jesus didn't call Lazarus by name, then all the dead would have come out of the tombs. That would be like a holy blooper. But of course, God, Jesus knew that. He called him by name. Lazarus, come forth. And I, you know, I I can just imagine him standing there and everyone's around in disbelief, but kind of wondering, is is he really going to do this? Is he really able to do this? And Jesus had no issue and he says, Lazarus, come forth. 
in a loud voice, and Lazarus came out, bound, and just enough where he could waddle out, right? And, when we, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, just like Jesus. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. And then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did noticed they believed in him. So there was some fruit in this resurrection of Lazarus. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and had told them the things Jesus did. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council together and said, What shall we do? For this man works many miracles, many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and we'll lose all of our money. Oh, wait, did I say that? We'll lose all of our prestige. And the Romans will come, and they'll take away our place in our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, I, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that as it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not, the whole, not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he said, not on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And guess what? That's you and I. Not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles. We would all be gathered into one. And what is that name of that group of people, Jews and Gentiles together in Christ? It's the church, the ecclesia. Yes, that's us. Then, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there in the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there he remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near. This was the third Passover spoken of in John's Gospel, the very Passover that Jesus would also die. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And then they sought Jesus and spoke to themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? that he will not come to the feast? Now both the, Jew, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it and that they might seize him. That they might seize Jesus. Did you know they also wanted to put Lazarus to death as well? Isn't that interesting? God raises him from the dead and what, what, how does man respond? Out of jealousy and anger and rage? Put him to death again. And they wanted to kill Lazarus because he was guilty by association. Are you willing to be guilty by association in Jesus Christ? Are you willing for people to mock you? I don't know if you knew this, newsflash, but your, your faith in Christ is not really well received in the world. No one's going to pat you on the back for your walk with Christ. The world certainly is not going to do it. They're going to be against you. Now, does that mean that we go against them? No, we don't. We love them, right? Jesus loved them. So we don't respond in kind. That's what the world does. We mustn't respond in kind. Jesus said, blessed are those who persecute you. Blessed are you, excuse me, when those who persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Blessed are you. And we enter into those sufferings of Christ that Paul spoke of. That's not an easy thing, is it? That's something we don't, that's nothing we really wanted to sign up for. 
We wanted Jesus to do all the dying and, then, and, and everything and for us to just get off scot-free. Well, he did do all the dying to preserve us, to save us eternally. That he did. But there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way for us as too. It's called persecution. And it's, it's important for us to really get close to the Lord because those days, folks, I believe, and I'm just warning you because I believe it's coming. If it hasn't already, it's already happening. But now is the time to make your calling and your election sure. To know that you're in the faith. To know that you're a believer in Christ. And if you don't know for sure, come up and pray with us. Pray with somebody next to you. If you've never been born again, then come up. We'd like to pray with you. Receive Christ into your heart. Don't delay. You don't don't have tomorrow. You don't have the opportunity of tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen today. We have no guarantees of tomorrow. And why live in jeopardy? Why live in jeopardy every day unless you're 100% sure? I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. And it's not because of any performance that I have given. It is strictly on the merit of Christ. That is all. There's nothing good within me. I know that. And you know that. But we must come to him. He paid the price. It's a message we've heard and heard and heard. But listen, it's time to stop listening so much and respond to that message. Have you responded to that message of the gospel today? If you haven't, whether you're in earshot of this or on, online or later as this goes out on the radio, do not wait another moment. Don't wait another moment. Today is the day of salvation. And for those of us who have known him, draw near to him. Get closer to him than you've ever been. Start reading your Bible again and start carving out time because it is not going to happen by automatically. It's not going to happen by osmosis. You've got to be deliberate and you've got to be... Um, determined in this because you know as well as I do life takes over and your time is shot and then you get to your pillow at night and go wow I didn't even spend any time in the word today I didn't spend any time in prayer today but I got all all my list done folks the greater thing the most important thing right now more than ever before in the history of the world do you understand that we're, the Lord is wrapping things up very rapidly? Is anybody, anybody aware in tune with that? Woo, 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 woo. Are we in tune with it? It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. So what are you doing? What are you, are you, do you know Christ or are you drawing cl- closer to him? Or are you think, ah, it's just coincidence. You know, these things are happening. Hey, listen, the Bible's very clear. It's very clear. And now is the time. Do not wait another day. And I say that in the most loving way I can. You need to be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious man, you've heard me say this before, Nicodemus, you've got all the things, you've got all your ducks in a row, you've got all your spiritual ducks in a row, at least you think you do, but you need to be born again because if, you don't, if you're not born again, you will not see or enter the kingdom of God. And the same is true for us. We will not see the kingdom of God. We will not enter the kingdom of God. We will not be saved unless the Spirit of God is in us, and that is there for the asking. All we have to do is confess our sin and say, God, would you please forgive me, a sinner, and take up residence in my heart, take up residence in my life, take all of me, consume me. Lord, change my life from what it's never been. I want, even now, even now, even though I know I'm born again, I'm going to ask God to save me again. 
I don't need to do that because I know I'm saved, but Lord, do it. If there's, any, if there's even a, a, a part in my little finger that's not redeemed, <laughs> save it. Save it. Save me, God. Cleanse me and heal me. Renew your spirit within me. Do you want that too? Even if you just want to restore, you have your, your, your life with him restored, would you stand with me? Stand. Let's stand. If you don't, then sit down. <laughs> if you don't want that relationship with Christ to be ramped up, to be real, made real again, for him to infuse it into you again and just give you a fresh touch of God's spirit, I need that. You need that. We need it now in the day that we live, folks. We have to be bold in love. And we have to know that we're his. Because if you don't know you're his, your, your life is going to be like a... It's going to be like mercury all over the floor. It's just going to go... You're going to be scattered everywhere. You're not going to know what's happening, what you're doing. You're going to be frustrated, confused. But the Lord loves you. Let's pray that God would fill us. For those of us who don't know him, that today, right now, in your privacy of your heart, you'd say, God, save me. Let's do that. Father, we just pray this morning, Lord, that you would reach down from heaven right now. And for anyone in this room or anyone visiting online, Father, if there is any one of us that has been just thinking we're religious, thinking that we're okay, Lord, but we've never given our heart to Christ, Lord, would you please come into our hearts? Would you please forgive us of all of our sin? that we've committed. Every single sin, Lord, cleanse us in the blood of Jesus Christ from the cross. And Lord, we, we, we take it by faith. We believe that that is, is more than adequate to forgive us, to cleanse us from all of our sin, and then take up residence, Holy Spirit, in our hearts. If we have not known you, Father, please save us. And Father, for those of us who do know you, God, would you please pour out your Spirit in this day, God, Renew us and, and transform us even again. Light us up again, Lord. Bring revival in the church. Bring revival in my life, God, and help me to be the marks of it, to be uh, love, Lord, not anger, but to be love, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it today uh, for us, Lord. Fill us as often as you will. As often as you will, Lord. Fill us and draw near to us. We need you, Jesus. We are hopeless. We are helpless without you. And we ask that you do all of this, Lord. And would you answer the prayers of everyone in this room, including myself? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.